0: Amen. <clears throat> Several years ago, I was attending a seminar, and the seminar was led by Glenn Martin, and the seminar was entitled Drawing Closer to God. One of the things that, uh, there was probably 30 or 35 of us in the seminar, and I was a younger pastor then. And this is what Glenn said Our heart attitude plays a pivotal role in determining how close we draw to God and at what rate. This is why God wants us to know Him better. The better we know Him, the more we will trust Him. As we see His great ca- uh, capabilities, and experience his power working in and through our lives. Closeness, key. Closeness comes as we yield ourselves to him in trust. Now, we're going to talk about that trust today because the psalm that I chose for this particular sermon really is a uh, a psalm of trust. David had extreme trust in God. Now, last week, we looked at, we engaged God in worship, and we looked at Psalm 101 through 5, where we come before him, we come before him with joy and with service. Those two are connected, uh, the joy in the Lord of serving and singing to him. And then we looked at, uh, to know his greatness. He is creator. He created us. We are all created in his image. He is our shepherd. We are the sheep of his field. He is faithful and God's faithfulness through the generations. But today's um, sermon really focuses on not just the singing dimension and not just the serving dimension and acknowledging his greatness. David's psalm here, Psalm fifty one, is based on Second Samuel, where um, Nathan confronts David over his sin with Bathsheba. And it was a major stumbling block in David's life. In fact, if you go back and you read 2 Samuel 12, 13, David says this after he is confronted, I have sinned against the Lord. So this psalm is really a psalm of lament. And David now comes before God in a broken condition. He comes before God realizing the magnitude of his sin and what he had done against God. And what David says here, and why I chose these two verses, because they really are at the heart or the meat of this text. I could have gone one more verse. Cast, in verse 11, he says, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from within me. you could have gone one step further but the issue here is david going before god and trusting god enough to know that he can come before him and what david says is this first of all seek god's forgiveness and he points to remorse to start with notice he says hide your face from my sins some mikvavrish some mikvavrish means to conceal It's a hephile verb, and that hephile verb uh, conveys a couple of thoughts. This is what David is asking God to do. Not only to conceal his eyes from David's sin, but to not view his sin. David didn't want God to see his sin anymore, but wanted God to look at him again. It's this moment where David realizes that his sin has caused such a problem between him and God that God's face was no longer looking at him. And so he says to God, hide your face from my sin. When was the last time any of us treated our sin that way? When was the last time we we think about our sin and we think, well, it's just small sin. It's all under the blood of Christ. It's, It's forgiven. That's true. But I want us to realize this morning that sin is still offensive to God. Sin still hurts our relationship to God. And therefore, as believers, we must understand the severity of sin. And when we come before God to say, Lord, I have sinned, and then to seek that forgiveness. You think about this, because this is exactly what the word hide your face conveys. It, not only did David not want God to look at his sin anymore, he didn't want God to see it at all. Hmm. Roger Ellsworth writes, He sees his sin as provoking God to avert his face, and now he longs to have God's face turned towards him again. Uh, David's relationship with God was so important that when he was confronted by Nathan, he must have realized at that moment that God's face was turned away from him, and David is begging God, in essence, Please turn your face back to me. It's it's kind of that cross moment where Jesus on the cross says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because in that moment, Jesus Christ was literally taking on the sins of the world. So David here, in in a small way, is having that moment where he realizes that God is not looking at him because of the sin that he had committed. Not only that, he killed Bathsheba's husband sent her back to get rid of him. David was devising a plan, go home, be with your wife. Uh, He tried to orchestrate things, and, and David realized when he was confronted, he said, only I have sinned against God. It's a reflective moment for David when he realizes that his sin had hurt his relationship with God. Brothers and sisters, when we talk about worship, it involves the heart. It involves our relationship with him. And as we ponder as we ponder our sin, it really is a window into our soul about what we believe about God, what we believe about sin, and and instead of treating sin as something that has been done away with, which is absolutely true. And that it has, it has been washed by the blood of Christ. I'm not arguing that at all. But the problem comes in when we sometimes gloss over our sin as if it still doesn't matter. That uh, we can, because God's grace abounds, we can send more and more and more. Paul says, may we not ever have that theology. May we never not, may we never go there this is this is a wrong attitude for one who has been redeemed what i see here from david is i see a heart of remorse well let me just say if we were to come in to worship and i don't know maybe we've been doing worship wrong i don't know i'm just throwing this out there what if what if there ever came a time when before we started worship people just came forward and laid here at the altar and and sought god's forgiveness for sin and then start the worship service I don't know I don't know I'm just throwing it out there I just this is a starting point for David where he realized he needed God's forgiveness and God also corrected him through a friend sometimes your friends know you better than you do because sometimes we like to see things the way we want to see them and you know I only you know only you know when you have sinned against God and that really comes from the presence of the Holy Spirit This is not right. And so at that moment, you go to him. Well, this sense of remorse from David, hide your face from my sin. Then leads to a call for cleansing. Hide your face from my sin, Lord. I don't want you to look at it. But at the same time, I want you to see me again. What a beautiful, what a beautiful image. It's remorse. David wanted to see God's face again looking upon him. And he says this, and blot out all my iniquities. Blot out all my iniquities. The word blot out, maha in Hebrew, means to wipe away impurities off an object. Much like this, like something is on the counter. You take and you spray the sponge and you wipe it off. You want to wipe it clean. You want to have all infirmities, all germs taken care of. And David really here is asking God just to please cleanse every sin that I have committed against you. To wipe it out, not just some, but David says, blot out all my iniquities. Now, what is David thinking about here? With this word blot out, um, we, we, we know it from Hebrews 9.22. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. In the Old Testament, when a person sinned against God, They would go to the priest and the priest would offer a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice, so that that sin could be washed out. When we come to the New Testament, we find our Savior, Jesus Christ, the perfect lamb, going to the cross, being crucified on the cross, shedding his blood, and then dying as the sacrificial lamb for my sin and for yours. But in that moment, God cleansed the objects of his love. And do you know who that is? It's you. It's me. The Old Testament did it with priests who went before the altar and killed the sacrifice and put the blood on the post and then was able to rid people of their sins. Jesus Christ did it on the cross for us. Another question for all of us. In your own private life, when was the last time you asked God to blot out all your sin? Brothers and sisters, you know me. I preach grace, I preach once in grace, always in grace. But sometimes I worry as a pastor. Have I made grace something that it is not? I don't want anybody in this room, including myself, to listen to me week after week and think that it's okay to be under grace and continue to sin. That's not okay. The good news here is That when we do sin, that we have a God that loves us and we can go before him and, and seek his face and he will forgive us. That's the good news. Can you imagine the unbelievers this morning? They have no good news. They are constantly under the wrath of God. But as believers, we are under the grace of God. And we have this opportunity. And I think regularly, I think regularly, we should go to God and ask him, God, uh, blot out my sin. Because David, I honestly think this is the apex of David's, David's life. We're talking King David here. The one that God said, I will establish the throne, your throne forever. I want you to understand and appreciate the beauty here that David trusts God enough. Trust God enough to go with him and say, Father, I need your face, but I also need you to blot everything out. Now, here's, here's the thing. When you do that and when I do that, How much of your sin is left over when God blots it out? It's gone. Completely gone as far as the east is from the west. Acts 3.19, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. David is wanting a refreshing moment with God. Not only so God can look at him again, but he wants all of us done and completely wiped out so that he might experience the blessings of God. And I wonder how many times in our lives we have not received the full blessing of God because we have unconfessed sin in our hearts and lives. If you want to talk about worship, you can do all of this on the outside. You can praise him and you can serve in the church and you can do all of that. But these, <laughs> the Bible says these people praise me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. This is the issue. The issue of worship is our hearts. It has always been our hearts. It has always been the heart matter of worship is our relationship with God. And if we look at it from this perspective, the most important dynamic in worship is our heart. Acts 3.19 is still for us today. Still there. It's kind of like, for those of you that are married, it's kind of like when you've had a fight with your wife. Neither one of you are talking to each other. But then at some point, you come back together and you reconcile. All of us that are married have been in that boat before. And when you reconcile, everything seems new again. When we go to him, I love this, wiped out. Done away with. You ask God about it again later. After you repent, he says, what are you talking about? It's gone. That's not me, but you could just get the sense of being washed clean. Do you remember the day that you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you remember that feeling? That's what it's supposed to be like our whole Christian walk. The problem is nobody within the sound of my voice, including myself, is perfect. Right? He sought God's forgiveness. He showed remorse. But more than that, the natural outflow of remorse is a request for cleansing. This leads us to the second point. Then he can restore. Then he can renew. Until then, we are, you know, using Old Testament analogy here just for a minute. If you were a priest in the Old Testament, you guys and gals probably knew this because I've probably said it on one occasion at least in 10 years of pastoral ministry here. If you were a priest and you just happened to be taking the sacrifice to the temple, and all of a sudden you stopped to say hello to somebody and you bumped that sacrifice, Do you know that that sacrifice was then called defiled? That priest could go and then offer that sacrifice to God, hoping that nobody would notice. The problem is God noticed. He defiled it. Here's the beautiful thing, even about the Old Testament priest. If he offered it to God, it would be taken. And he could never be unpriested. But all that priest would have to do, realizing, and it might, I know this happened, this had to have happened sometime in the nation of Israel, because a lot of scholars talk about it. Uh, that priest could continue to offer sacrifices even though the priest himself was defiled. God would accept the sacrifice and the priest could never be kicked out of the priesthood. As a priest, you functioned in two ways. You were either a defiled priest or an undefiled priest. And that's when we look at Peter's language. You are a royal priesthood. What Peter is saying from the Old Testament is you can never be unpriested. So remember with that great responsibility comes or with that great responsibility comes a great requirement on our part. And that is to live an undefiled life. So David says this. It's famous. This, this is famous. It's, I've seen it on refrigerator magnets. I've seen it on car bumper stickers. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Elohim. Not Yahweh. Elohim. Has 13 different meanings. But here... In this, this is this is awesome. Listen to this. In this context, it refers to the true God who will judge. Elohim. I know we've we've heard different names for God, Yodehave, Yahweh, Jehovah Jireh. We've 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 heard all of them. But here, the Elohim means the true God who will judge. I want you to see David's. High respect and confidence in God. Having just asked to have been cleansed from his sin, showing remorse, he says only God can give a clean heart. Only God can do that. Do you know only God can save people? We can't do that. And I love this class, but this, this, this book only gives guidelines to get there. It really does start with the heart. And Glenn was right. It starts with the heart. And how your heart is, so goes your relationship to your father. He says here, create in me a clean heart. Create is the word bara. Bara. It means to shape. I love wood carvers. I like those that work with clay. Such a beautiful image. Uh, This carver here started with just a piece of wood. And what he did was he created this beautiful owl. Just carved it out. Just from a piece of wood. And when David says create, he's telling God shape. That's what that word means, create, to shape or to carve out something new, and in this case, a new heart. Only God can do that. Only God can fix your spiritual situation. Only God can change things in your life, and and we need to go to him. We also need to go to him and confess our sin and ask for forgiveness of our sin so that times of refreshing can come, so that God can completely make it brand new again. Ezekiel thirty-six, twenty-six. only God can change a heart of stone. And this is what Ezekiel writes, I will give you a new heart and put my new spirit in you. I will remove from you your old heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, a brand new heart. Jeremiah said, there's coming a day when I will write God's laws on your heart. I realize we live in the New Testament. I realize that. But I want to remind us as believers that we are also Old Testament believers as well. And a lot of the stuff that we have in the New Testament is based on the Old Testament. In fact, it's a carryover. You could put it this way, Old Testament God external, New Testament God internal. But even David says here, do not cast your Holy Spirit from me. Hmm. He says here, create in me a clean heart, Kahol, pure by ritual cleansing. Where'd he get that from? Priesthood. When the priest would do his puriful, or his purification. Heart is the word lave, which refers to the mind, the soul, and the spirit. So the big argument here is, when David talks about the heart, which is cardia in the New Testament, um, here it's lave. Is man a dichotomous or trichotomous? Big debate. Don't think it really matters. We have a body, the soul, with emotions and mind and will, and we have a spirit, intuition, worship, and conscience. But I will tell you this, that Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, his spirit adopts our spirit and teaches us to become like God. The whole fight of a Christian life is in this realm. It's here and here. That's the whole fight. When David says, clean my heart, O Lord, he's talking about cleansing his entire inner being. Martin Luther, the great Reformed theologian, said this, My conscience is captive to the word of God. What was he talking about? Who I am as a person, who I am as a believer in Christ. This was when Martin Luther King was asked to recant his works. He says, I will not and cannot. Martin Luther also said to go against conscience is neither right or or, or smart. He says, my conscience is captive to the word of God. That speaks volumes about Martin Luther's relationship to his father. When was the last time, third question, when was the last time you asked God to cleanse your heart? And I know as believers, we believe our hearts are already cleansed, and that's absolutely true. God has forgiven our sin, but it doesn't mean that we ever stop repenting of our sin and then I my mind naturally gravitates towards is it possible for us to worship on Sunday morning and not really worship if this is King David a man after God's own heart going to him and asking him to create in me a brand new heart Is it possible to worship God without actually worshiping Him? Not only did He ask for a cleansing and a clean heart, but He also asked for a right spirit. And renew a right spirit within me. Renew is the word haidish, it means to restore. People that, here's an old Model T, you can see it. Originally it was, well you can see it, it's completely gutted, destroyed. Here it is completely restored. (laughs) What I like about this, renew a right spirit within me, it really is a picture of salvation. How we were once in darkness, and in bondage and then God through the miracle of the cross forgives us all of our sin and 2nd Corinthians 5 17 says therefore if any man is in Christ he is a new creature the old things the old things are passed away behold all things become new only God can do that if you've got somebody in your life that they're lost You can talk to them about Jesus Christ. You can share the gospel with them. But I am here to tell you, it is only by the finger of God that lives can be changed. And knowing this as believers, shouldn't we want to regularly make sure that we are in a good relationship with him, a right relationship with him, where we when we worship on Sunday morning and we come and we we worship and we serve him, we come before him knowing that our heart is right and pure. Oh, how much could how much is our worship then of value? In that case. He says here a right spirit. Kavnunra. Kavnunra. I had to say that word 14 times to get it right. Kavruvav. This is an interesting word. A steadfast spirit able. Listen to this. A steadfast spirit able for a task or a function. He just looped it back to service. You see that? In the first one, last week, it was joy and service. Now it's heart and service. How many of you have ever taken jobs in the church that you absolutely did not want to do simply because nobody else would take them? I've come to a new conclusion in my own life. You shouldn't take the job. Personal opinion. Because we're supposed to serve God with gladness and with joy. James Smith, in his commentary, a steadfast spirit is one that is fixed and resolute In allegiance to God, unmoved by the assaults of temptation, David. Essentially here, David is surrendering his heart to the Lord. Unreserved. When he says here, and renew a right spirit within me, he is surrendering everything he has to God. I'm not trying to sound mean here. But I think at times we don't surrender our hearts to him. I'm guilty of that at times in my life when I have not given God everything. You say, well, does God stop loving you when you get in a position like that? No. No. but I wonder how many blessings that we've missed because we're not in the optimal relationship with him. Where are you today? Have you trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior? If you haven't I want you to come down here and I want you to trust in Christ. What about your relationship with him? Let me, let me say this. I don't want anybody leaving here today thinking that Pastor Mike said that if you are sinful, that you your sins have not been forgiven. Your sins have been forgiven. You can never lose your salvation. What I am focusing on today and what King David has tried to teach us is that the heart is the most important thing we have. You've heard me say this over and over and over again. The quickest way to find out the motives of your heart is ask, why am I doing what I am doing? And you'll get to the heart of the matter pretty quick. If you're doing it to be seen by men, it will be exposed by answering that question. But if you say, I'm doing what I'm doing because I love God with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength, bless.